Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. You know, in 1948, not many of us were around, but in 1948, Warner Brothers introduced two cartoon characters that quickly became household names. I'm sure you've heard of them, Wild E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. And just in case you do not know who these two animated characters are, Wild E. Coyote is constantly scheming and planning and setting traps, trying to catch the Roadrunner in order to devour him, in order to destroy him. I, don't, I guess that's what he would do. Uh, I don't know what he would do because he never catches him. But the only problem is that the Roadrunner is always, for some reason, is one or two steps ahead of Coyote. And he not only thwarts the plans of Coyote, but the plans usually come back on top of Coyote's head, like in the picture here of the rock coming back down. It's over and over we see that Roadrunner escapes from the coyote. And it's interesting to me that this, that this coyote uh, conspires against this meatless, right? Meatless, seemingly insignificant bird. And he can't ever outwit him or overcome him. And oddly enough, while a coyote and Roadrunner remind me of the book of Exodus. Um, and we'll see that in just a minute, hopefully. But last week, if you remember, we start, Pastor Terry brought us into the book of Exodus. We, were, we came out of the book of Genesis, picked up where we left off, where the patriarch Joseph had brought his family, the, the Hebrews, safely into Egypt. And for a few generations, they experienced prosperity until they were enslaved and oppressed by a new coyote a new Pharaoh. Scripture says, who did not know Joseph. He didn't know of what Joseph had done for them. But here's the roadrunner. It says, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they prospered. And there's this theme as we study Scripture that we're going to see, there's this theme that goes all throughout, not just Exodus, but through the, through the entire Word of God, that there's this theme, and, here, and I want to, if you're taking notes, here's what I want you to see, is that God has a redemptive plan. God has a redemptive plan that cannot be thwarted by man or demons. That is a theme that goes through all throughout Scripture, and we're going to hopefully clearly see that today and as we move through the book of Exodus. Um, God is going to be mocked. God is going to be rejected. God is going to be opposed by his enemies. But like the roadrunner, in the end, his plan of redemption will triumph. That is a theme that I want us to see all throughout the, the passage, especially today. And if you remember in Genesis 12, God made a covenant with Abraham. Everything that we're uh, teaching is built upon this covenant. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. As you, will, as you can see, there were several things that God promised Abraham if he would leave his homeland and trust him. He said, I'm going to give you blessings. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you 
more descendants than the sands of the sea, tons and tons of descendants. And from those descendants, I'm going to bless the entire world. There is going to come a savior from your descendants. And Satan, knowing this, we need to understand he's really not named up front, but he's behind the scenes, knowing that a Savior was going to come through Abraham's line. He is, he's trying to thwart God's unthwartable plan of redemption. Now, here's how he's doing how he did it last week. The last verse in chapter 1 says that Pharaoh commanded that every son that was born to the Hebrews would be cast into the Nile. In other words, if he could eliminate the man from the home, from the community, he would be able to thwart the plans of God. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, That's probably a message that we could preach at another time. Eliminate the man in the homes and in communities and thwart the plans of God. But, as I said earlier, God's plans cannot ultimately be thwarted. They cannot be thwarted. And so this is the backdrop that we are opening up with in chapter 2, the backdrop of Pharaoh breathing down the necks of the Hebrews. And as we, op- as we come into verse 1, there is an unnamed man and there is an unnamed woman who were from the tribe of Levi. We're going to find out in chapter 6 that, that the father's name was Amram and the lady's name. Now, if you're looking for names for children, uh, Amram is a male's name and Jochebed is, is one for the ladies, so just keep that in mind. But that's their names, and they have a, they have a son. We're going to be introduced today for the first time in the most uh, central character, human character, in the book of Exodus. God is the ultimate central character, but we're going to be introduced to Moses, who is also the author of the book of Exodus. And we're going to see that God indeed is going to raise him up to be a savior. He's going to be a a, a type of Savior that foreshadows the ultimate Savior. He's, he's going to be a Savior that points us to the perfect Savior, Jesus. And we're going to see so many different similarities in, in the life of Moses and in the life of Jesus. For example, as I just said, Pharaoh said, kill the baby boys when he was being born. He was trying to exterminate uh, the, the Messiah that was going to come through Moses. And that's what happened during Christmas season, right? Herod put a decree to kill all the babies under two years old when Jesus was uh, coming into the world. But we got to remember that though that was the plan of Satan, God has a redemptive plan that cannot be thwarted by man or by demons. Now I want us to look at verse 2 as we're moving forward. There's some very uh, instructive and interesting things that are in this, this one verse. It says, The woman, speaking of Jochebed, conceived and bore a son, and when she saw, when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Now that word that's translated as fine is the, is the Hebrew word, it's a three-letter word, tov, T-O-V, which uh, could be translated good, desirable, valuable, and you may have another translation that may have said a beautiful child. It can be translated as beautiful. And you know, honestly, uh, over the years, I've seen a lot of newborns, a lot of newborns. And it it can kind of be awkward sometimes when you're uh, in the delivery room or right after the baby's born and the mom just goes, isn't he or she beautiful? (sighs) 
I've got six of my own, okay? So every time, I was just like, they will be, they will be, okay? They will be. But, you know, you are. Look at her. How be- Stand up, Abby. No, okay, all right. <laughs> but, you know, every single mama thinks their baby's beautiful, don't they? And they are. They are simply because at conception, uh, they are being created in the image of God, right? So they're beauti- every child is beautiful uh, just because of, of God uh, being created in the image of God. But in today's passage, when the parents see that the child is beautiful, commentators would all seem to agree that there was something special about the way this child physically looked. This was an exceptionally good-looking child, infant. And that brings some commentators to think that uh, because it was so, the child was so beautiful, Moses was so beautiful, the parents were like, I just can't throw him in the, the river. You know, I think that there might be some truth to that, but, um, but there, I think that this, this could be a possibility. But I believe that it wasn't just uh, a physical beauty that the parents see. Because again, like I said, all mamas think their baby's beautiful. I think that it was also a, a beauty that they saw spiritually or that they saw they had this understanding that this child was no ordinary child. And so I have this view, and here's why I have this view, is because as we teach, Scripture interprets Scripture, right? Scripture, there's other passages that speak about Moses, and they are found in the New Testament. Uh, One of them is in Acts chapter 7. This is when Stephen is about to be stoned, and he's giving a history of the the, um, Hebrew people. He talks about Moses. We're going to look at that in just a second. And then there's Hebrews chapter 11. Does anyone know what this chapter is known as? Hebrews the faith chapter. So we're going to look at two two passages in the New Testament that's going to give us insight to what we just read. Let's look at first look at Acts chapter 7 verse 20. Stephen has talked about uh, Abraham, Isaac and, and Jacob and he's talked about how the Hebrews were being persecuted in Egypt. And then he says, at this time Moses was born and look at what it says. It says and he was beautiful look in whose sight God's sight. Now, does that mean that God looked down and went, whoa, look how beautiful this, no, he, that's not what, I don't think that that's what that means. I mean, God created Moses, but rather I believe what this is, is this is figurative speech, a way of saying that God had special plans, redemptive plans for this child. Then in Hebrews 11, I want to look at Hebrews 11 verse 23. It says, by faith. Two words there, by faith. We're going to come back to that, what that means, by faith, in just a second. But by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith they saw, by faith they were not afraid. That, that by faith is a very important part of why they did what they did. And so I want to talk for just a minute, pull out of this passage for just a minute, and I want to talk about what faith is. Um, because this is also a, a recurring theme in the book of Exodus. And God is pleased and he's, it, he advances his redemptive will through those who believe in him, those who Trust in him. Those who have a certain kind of faith. And I say a certain kind of faith because faith is one of those words that we use in our culture 
that gets kind of just thrown around, like, I'm a, you know, I'm a person of faith, or, or I belong to a community of faith, or how about, you know, I, I don't take uh, health precautions, or I don't plan for my future, because I got faith in God that he's going to take care of me. Uh, or me coming up here and going, you know what, I'm not going to prepare for this message. And you may think I don't, but I do. I'm not going to prepare for this message because I know I trust God's going to give me a word when I get up there. That is not biblical faith. That, that is a type of faith. It's believing in something, but it's not biblical faith. It's not the faith that we're talking about in the slide that was before, by faith. They did this or that. So let me give you a definition of what I mean when I say faith. Faith, biblical faith, is believing God. Simple. Simple, but difficult, right? It's simple. It's believing. It's trusting God. Faith is trusting God. Now, notice I didn't say faith is believing that there is a God. Now, that is a type of faith, but that's not the type of faith I'm that I'm talking about here. And Hebrews does say that without faith, if you don't believe God exists, you can't have faith. So you do have to believe he exists. But just because you believe he exists doesn't mean you trust him. So we're talking about a faith where you trust God. That's, and, and you're believing, you're trusting, and here's what you're believing. You're believing who he is, who he's revealed himself to be, and you are believing what he has promised you're believing in what he has promised, not what you want him to promise, what you wish. It's not like we create faith. We believe, we trust God, and that is faith. Believing in God's person and in his word. Now, how do you know? Let me ask you this. How do you know if you have that kind of faith, that type of faith that pleases God? Well, let's look at uh, another verse in Hebrews 11. It's the first, first two verses, very familiar with, if you, if you understand that this is the faith chapter in the Bible, it says, now faith, and here it's going to give a, uh, a definition, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is an assurance, an assurance of things hoped for. It's a conviction of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the people of old, it's talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, everyone in the Old Testament, received their commendation, or they were approved by God. God was pleased with them because they walked by faith. And I want us to notice something here in this, in this, this verse right here, that faith, that the author of Hebrews makes a distinction between faith and hope. Do you see that? It doesn't say, now faith is hope. Faith and hope are not the same thing. And you might say, well, what is the difference? Well, hope, if you're taking notes, hope is a desire or a longing for something to happen in the future. It's something that we hope will happen uh, in the future. Romans 8, uh, 24 says that no one hopes for something that he already has. If you already have something, you're not hoping for it. You're not longing for it. But the biblical hope is one that you're, you're um, longing for, desiring something that you don't yet possess uh, in real time. And there's two types of hopes. It's important to understand that there's two types of hopes. There is biblical hope, and then there is what I'm going to call earthly hope. 
biblical hope and earthly hope. Now, the difference between the two is that biblical hope is rooted, it's grounded in the promises of God. It's grounded in God himself, whereas earthly hope is not guaranteed. Biblical hope is guaranteed. Earthly or human hope is not guaranteed. And it's, it's kind of like uh, earthly hope is one of those things like, man, I hope uh, that it doesn't rain tomorrow. Or, man, I hope that my investments in Bitcoin are just going to pour over, right, and just explode on the scene, right? That's a hope. Or I hope that today my team wins. Maybe your hope of yesterday's team winning yesterday was dashed, right? You see, you see the difference is uh, these types of hopes that I just explained, expressed, are unsecure hopes. They are, they are not um, promised by God. They, they have the potential to disappoint us, even when we get the, that hope. They, they, they have the potential to ashamed, to make us ashamed. Why? You know why? It's because often those types of hopes are our dreams. Those are they're our desires, and they can be good, good dr- dreams, good desires. But ultimately, remember at the beginning of this message, I said God has God has a redemptive plan. Sometimes those good hopes, those good desires that we want don't fit into God's redemptive plan. And God's redemptive plan leads to life, leads to eternal life. I like what R.C. Sproul says about hope. He says, when the Bible speaks of hope, it is not referring to a desire for a future outcome that is uncertain but rather a desire for a future outcome that is absolutely sure. Based on our trust in the promises of God, we can be fully confident about the outcome. When God gives his people a promise for the future and the church grasps it, this hope is said to be the anchor of the soul. An anchor is that which gives a ship protection against aimless drifting in the sea. The promises of God for tomorrow are the anchor for believers today. I love that. The the promises of God for tomorrow are the anchor for believers today. So So what is hope? What is biblical hope? Biblical hope is guaranteed. It's guaranteed because it is an anchor in God's unthwartable plan of redemption. Now, just to summarize real quick, what is faith? Faith is trusting God, who he is and what he has promised, which produces an assurance that we will receive without doubt things in the future that we hope for that God has promised. And it goes all the way back to Abraham what God promised him. He promised him blessings. He promised him um, lots of family members. He promised him land. He promised that a Savior would come. And the things that he promised, Abraham didn't receive because he was looking forward to a greater land, a greater place where the great king, Jesus, reigns. That ultimately, church, that's who, where our hope is. It should be. Now, it's not always. And when I put my hope in this world, that's when I get disappointed. That's when I get 
ashamed. But when I put my faith, my trust in God's promises for those who trust in him, I have this unshakable assurance and conviction in what God is going to deliver, and I will not, and you will not be disappointed. So that's, that's what uh, faith is, and that's what hope is. And there's three other elements I want us to look at for the remainder of our time together. We're going to get back into the passage in just a minute, but I have to set this up uh, before we do that. There's three other elements of faith, of what faith produces in those who trust God, and they are found not just in our passage today, but I think we can find them almost every time in other uh, passages throughout the Scripture where people put their faith in God. And I want you to, I want to point them out to you this morning, and I want to see if you agree with me that you see them too. So uh, biblical faith, and here they are, biblical faith envisions, biblical faith emboldens, Biblical faith enlightens. Biblical faith is fun to say. Biblical. That's just fun to say. But, but it envisions, it emboldens, and it enlightens. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When I say that faith envisions, it allows, when you trust in God, when you put your full trust in God, you're able to see things that you wouldn't see otherwise. When you see God, you see things in a different light. You see them as they are. Um. Hebrews 11.27 says that by faith he, this is speaking of Moses, by faith he left Egypt. We read about that, how he fled from Pharaoh. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. Why? For he endured as seeing as seeing him who is invisible. Faith helps spiritual eyes to see what physical, physical eyes cannot see. What about emboldens? Have you ever, I want you to think about this, have you ever met a nervous gorilla? Think about it. I have been, I, I have been to the zoo. I have never, or on videos, I've never seen a gorilla that's nervous. Have you? Never. They always have that look on their face. Or, they, you know, or there's people looking at them, they're, they're just like, what's up? They are there, and if one of them was sitting right here in the middle of the, uh, the uh, sanctuary here, what would happen? We would be the ones fleeing from that. Why? Because that gorillas are emboldened. They are full of power. They are full of strength. I know this was a silly example. I wish I hadn't done it now, but I did. <laughs> gorillas, okay, I don't think that we're ever called gorillas in, in the Bible. I don't know anywhere in there. But they are an example of what it looks like when you, are, when you see God. You, are, you can switch the picture. You, you, are, <laughs> you are emboldened. Fear is driven out. You, are un, you have an unshakable confidence. Moving on. Enlightens. Faith enlightens. Biblical faith enlightens. What do I mean by that? This is one of the great uh, fruits of faith. It, it teaches us, it, it leads us into wise living. I don't know how God does it, but when we trust in him, when we get into his word, there is a certain type of wisdom, there is a certain type of, of understanding that enters into our hearts that teaches us to live wisely. As we walk by faith, as we keep in step with the Spirit, somehow... By, his, by faith, we know what to do 
and when to do it. Now, I want to look at three, three examples in the Old Testament that I think everyone is familiar with to, to point these three uh, envisioning, emboldening, emboldening, and enlightening in. Noah. Remember Noah? Everyone, I think everyone knows who Noah was. He was envisioned, by faith, he was envisioned to see that the world was going to be flooded because he believed God. Then he was emboldened to endure persecution and ridicule for about 120 years because he knew he believed God. Then he was enlightened. God taught him how to build a boat on the top of a mountain. How about David, the teenager, standing before Goliath? What does he see? He sees his God. He, sees, he doesn't see Goliath he's, other than as a conquerable man. Why? Because God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Now, what was Goliath doing? He was cursing the Israelites. David stood in boldness before Goliath because he saw God. He was emboldened. And that's why he was able to stand there and say, you know, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, and I'm going to cut your head off. I mean, just the, the emboldenment. Is that a word? Just he was emboldened, emboldened before him. And God uh, gave him, enlightened him on how to kill a giant with a simple sling and a stone. One more, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, standing before the most powerful king that I believe this earth has ever seen, King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, bow to this idol. They uh, believe God's word when he says, do not bow to idols. They believe God's word when he says, I will rescue you out of your, the, the hands of your enemies. They're envisioned. And that emboldens them to stand before him and go, you know what, look, Nebuchadnezzar, and I love, this is one of my favorite in-your-face faith moments. He's, they say, look, we don't even need to answer you. We don't, we don't even need to respond to you right now. But, but our God is going to save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. They had this certain emboldenment, this boldness that came by faith, not in themselves, but in God, which in, enlightened them to know to not bow. And eventually they were rescued from the fiery furnace. All right, let's go back to our passage today. I just wanted to show you that that, as you're reading, as you're looking at uh, passages in, in the scriptures, to see if, that, if you see that pattern over and over. And, and I see it in today's passage. We're going to go back to Hebrews 11 one more time, verse 23. And I've rearranged the words, uh, reordered them. I didn't change the meaning, but I, I read um, rearrange them so that we can see this pattern. By faith, when he was born, Moses' parents saw, they were envisioned, that the child was beautiful, and because they were not afraid, they were emboldened, of the king's edict, he was hidden. God taught him, showed him what to do. He was hidden for three months by his parents. And, and it's interesting to me that this faith that we're seeing here was a quiet faith. It, they didn't go out in front and go, we're not going to you know, put him. To, they went, and in wisdom, they hid. Sometimes, and that, you know what that teaches me? Sometimes faith looks differently. Faith, when you're emboldened, doesn't always mean that you're going to be loud about it. 
but it does mean that you're confident as you're following God because God gives specific wisdom for specific trials that he allows into our lives. You need to hear that. You don't know what to do? Walk by faith because God will give you the wisdom in that situation in order to know how to get through it. And that requires us to be walking with God in fellowship. That means that we have to have a, uh, what we call a relationship with Jesus. That, that's, that's very important to faith, that we are walking with Jesus. We've got to know his word. We have to believe his word. Let me say that again. We have to know his word, and then we have to believe his word. Jesus says in John 8, 31 through 32, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, if you remain in my word, if you hold fast to my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, or you will understand the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, in context, Jesus is talking about being set free from sin, from the, from the power of sin or the bondage of sin by believing in and by abiding in the truth. And we, and we gain spiritual understanding from God when we simply cling to the truths that we already know about God and what he has promised to us in his word. And if you're like me, there are so many times in my life that I'm seeking to follow God and I come to a place where I don't know what to do. Does any can you guys relate to that? You're, you're trying to follow God, but you don't know what to do. It might be what school to go to. It might be in, as, a, as a parent, I don't know what I'm going to do. It might be as a spouse or as an employee. Uh, it might be in ministry. And, and there's so many, I mean, so many times that I have come to situations that I don't know what to do. And so what do we do in those situations? We walk by faith. We speak the truth of, of, the, of God's word, but we have to know the word. We have to go to Jesus, pray his word to him, acknowledge God. Here, here's a, here's, here's a, um, something to believe. Lord, I'm dust. I'm not all that. I'm not titanium. You ever heard that song? Yeah, it's old, but there's a song about I'm strong, I got this. Lord, I don't got this. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are what? On you. Let's take Moses' parents. Think about it. Now, we know that Moses had more than, uh, had an older sister and a older brother. Miriam, uh, she's the one that's in the reeds watching the basket as Moses is floating around. She's probably 10 to 14 years old. Then he has another brother named Aaron. We'll find out later that he was three years older than, than Moses. But sometimes, sometime between the birth of Aaron and the conception of Moses, Pharaoh sends out this edict about killing all the, the male Hebrew children. And I'm just, imagine what it would have been like for me uh, or, and Kelly to have that edict sent out when we're pregnant. First question I would ask is, what am I supposed to do? That's where faith enters. Well, first thing, I'm going to have the baby. I'm going to have that. I know to do that. So I'll have the baby. Now that the baby's here, what do we do? Faith taught them, rebel quietly for three months. All right, now the baby's screaming its head off. What do I do? And this is, okay, when you read this passage, mama puts baby 
in a basket. And what's interesting about that word basket, it's only found one other place in the, in the uh, scriptures. It's when Noah, that name for basket, word for basket is the same word that's used for ark. So she puts her baby in ark to be saved through the waters. But just like Noah was saved from the waters. How did they know to put the baby in the basket? Faith. They were walking with God. God taught them by faith to do that. God is working through their faith in him to envision them, to embolden them, and to enlighten them in order that his unstoppable redemptive plan will advance. So, what do we see? We see Moses is born. We see that he's beautiful in the sight of God and man. He's brought up for three months in private. He's placed in a basket to float in the Nile where the Pharaoh's daughter ends up adopting him and bringing her into her home as his son. And verse 22 of Acts, we're going back to Acts, verse 7 says, uh, chapter 7, verse 22 says, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Do you see the irony in here, in this? Do you see the rock that's rolling back on the coyote's head? The king who had determined that he's going to exterminate the Hebrews through his daughter, ends up paying Moses' mom to do what she would have done for free. Then, through his daughter, he adopts Moses, his enemy, into his house, and he provides for him, and he educates him. In other words, the one that, that Pharaoh was trying to do away with eventually is used by God to overthrow his kingdom. That is God. That is God's plans for those who follow him, who walk with him. Ultimately, he will win. God has a redemptive plan that cannot be overthrown by man or demons, even when his servants seem to blow it. Because that's what Moses does after he grows up. Let's look at verse 11. It says, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. Now, Acts 7.23, Stephen says that Moses was 40 years old when this happened. So 40 years have passed. Moses is 40 years old. And it comes, it comes into his heart. I wonder where that came from. It comes into his heart to go out and to see his Hebrew brothers. It says, uh, and when he was, let's see, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Now, it's interesting that that word where it says that he saw an Egyptian beating the Hebrew and where it says that he struck down the Egyptian, that is the exact same word. It's also the same word later on in the passage where uh, Moses says to the uh, Hebrew, why are you striking your brother? That, it's the same word. Evidently, that um, Egyptian was violently striking the Hebrew to a point that it looked like he was going to kill him. And so Moses, in, it seems like in anger, rises up 
and strikes him down and then tries to, to cover what he had done. Verse 13 says, When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling with each other. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. You see what's happening here? Moses, God is, is move, maneuvering Moses to where he needs to be. Now, I'm not saying that God caused uh, Moses to strike down that Egyptian. But he's going to use Moses' mistakes down, down in the future. Why? Because God has a plan that cannot be thwarted. And Moses is a part of that plan. But look, he knows that when he struck that Egyptian down, he made a decision, I'm leaving uh, this, my place up here. Maybe he was thinking, and I'm going to become this leader that's going to lead a revolt against Egypt, and all the Hebrews are going to be standing behind me, and we're going to just overcome this, this nation. Only problem is, at this point, they don't see him as their leader. So, so Moses is by himself, and he flees. And if I had been Moses' parents... I probably would have been tempted to look at what was happening in life and seeing how God had taken Moses and was raising him up in the palace of Egypt. And I'd be like, here, here he goes again, God. God's doing it again. Remember Joseph. Look what he did with Joseph. He's raising Moses up, and he's going he's gonna to do it again. Um, it would have been easy for me to put my hope in thinking that Moses was a second Joseph. But, uh, and if you don't know the rest of the story, when you see Moses strike this Egyptian down, you might be thinking, oh no, Moses, look what you just did. It took God 40 years to raise you to this level, to this place, and in one foolish act of passion, you destroyed God's plan for your life. If that was where my hope was, then my hope would be frustrated. If my hope's not in God, in his promises, but it's in the situation that I think I'm figuring out how God's going to do this and that, then I have a, a high chance of being, uh, my hopes being frustrated. But again, God has an unstoppable, redemptive plan, and he is too creative to do the same thing twice. He's not going to save his people the same way. There was, there's only one ark. There's only one David. There, there's only one march around the Jericho. You can march around Asheville seven times, but that's not what God is probably... Uh, okay, so... It wasn't through Moses getting on a horse, taking up the sword, and by his power, leading the Hebrews in rebellion that's going to overthrow Egypt. Egypt. And what God's going to do is he's going to teach Moses... Moses, it's not up to you to come up with a plan of redemption. It's not up to you, but rather for you to put your trust in me, who already has the plan of redemption that cannot be thwarted. The plan that was established before the foundations of the earth. The plan that we know is revealed in Jesus Christ. That is ultimately where God is heading 
with his people. He's going to give picture after picture to try to help get his people and us prepared for that. And you know, uh, maybe this morning you have been following God and you've got this plan. You got, you got this plan in your head and your mind, um, and, and it might be a good plan. It, it might be some good things in there, but you feel like uh, it's being thwarted. It, your, the li- your plan, life's not going the way that you thought it was, was going to go. It might be financially, it might be relationally, it might prof- be professionally. I don't know what that plan is in your head. But you feel like you're being resisted and you're not getting what your plan promised. Um, I like what Paul Tripp says. He says, perhaps the resistance you experience is not the enemy, but your Savior standing in the way of your plans to give you something better. I I love that. Um, When our plans... When we're following Christ, even when we're not following Christ and we come back to him, but when our, when our plans fail, we can rest assured that God's redemptive plans are not going to fail. And you know what's going to happen? Um, over the next 40 years, a lot's going to happen in Moses' life. 40 years. A lot of us in this room are not even 40 yet. But for 40 years, uh, we see that he gets a wife, he gets a child, and the king... The Pharaoh that was reigning when he was there dies. And the Hebrews are still suffering. And they're crying out to God. And that might be where you're at this morning. You might be frustrated. You might be suffering. You might be in a place where you're like, where is God? And in the last two verses of chapter 2 that we're in, the last two verses, I hope these you'll hear God through these. Listen to what it says says, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Um, He remembered his plan. Not that he forgot it, but that's... He remembered his plan. God, verse 25 says, God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. God heard. God saw. God knew. These people were not forgotten. Moses was not forgotten. God's plan of redemption was not forgotten in their life. And listen, if you've put your faith in Christ, this is true of you too. Wherever you are, I want to encourage you, cry out. God hears you. Explain your situation even though God already sees it. Under Realizing that God knows. He understands where you're at. Don't turn back to Egypt because God has a redemptive plan that cannot be thwarted by man or demons. Trust God, walk by faith, knowing that in time we will not be disappointed. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.